Good morning, friends. Thanks, Alice and Stacy. Do you have any idea how much you are loved? If you've forgotten, even for a second, you are loved. You are loved by a God who created you in order to love you. How about that? So there's really nothing you can do about it, so you might as well just sit in it. <laughs> you are deeply, deeply loved today and every day on your best day, on your worst day. You are deeply, deeply loved. Now, you didn't get out of bed and come on over here just to hear that. That's sort of a given, but I think we need to just hear it once in a while. And I don't know your life story. I don't know if you've always felt that sense of I am loved or maybe it's sort of an on-again, off-again thing. I don't know your history. I don't know your background. Um, Maybe you were born into a family where you always kind of felt that unconditional love. It was just sort of always there in the background. Maybe you weren't. Um, Maybe your parents expressed love to you very easily. Maybe they didn't. Everybody has kind of a different uh, upbringing. Uh, Maybe you were born into a family with lots of siblings, and that love just sort of bounced off of you, uh, sometimes with, you know, rustling. Um, But but you had that sort of uh, love energy around you all the time. Um, I don't know, maybe you found that special someone and you had a lot of rom- have a lot of romantic love in your life, a lot of adventure, and you've had that. Um, I have not experienced that. My Prince Charming fell off his horse, sustained a head injury, and has not been able to find me. Um, and that's fine. Um, but, and I'll get to who my groom is uh, anyway, but, uh, but maybe you've had that. But I bet you each one of us at some point in our lives has felt rejected has felt betrayed. We have that in common too. So I don't, I don't know if you've experienced the joy of, of husband and wife, of father, of mother, of the extreme joy of grandparenting. Um, I, we all have different circumstances, but I can tell you for sure, regardless of your life circumstances, you are deeply loved by your creator in all the best forms of love that there are. You are deeply loved, and we share a title. We share a role. We are beloved to Jesus. We are his bride. Many times in Scripture, we are described as Christ's bride. The church is the bride of Christ. Now, women can usually kind of embrace that, right? We get a bride. That's a positive term for most of us. Men, eh, Not so much, but it's throughout Scripture. This bridal language is in there all over the place. Now, guys, embrace it. Don't picture yourself in the dress if that creeps you out. It's okay. It's okay. And women, if it feels creepy that we're all wearing a white dress, you know, this is not sister wives. Okay? Not that either. Just It's a general term, but it's definitely ingrained in our scripture stories. So um, we all just need to find a way to get comfortable with that title because it's absolutely there. So I want to teach a little bit tonight about how this love um, cannot fail us and how it is woven into Scripture in some kind of unusual places. It's woven into the the story of the Passover and the Seder meal and the the Lord's Supper that Jesus institutes in the New, New Covenant. So it's tied into communion that we will share this morning. It's tied into Pentecost 
and it's tied into uh, Old and New Testament that, that shares um, this love covenant, this covenant based on sacrifice uh, together. It's all woven in. So I think there's some interesting touch points here. We won't push the metaphor too far, but there's some very interesting touch points that I think um, that we can learn some from today. So let's talk about the traditional Jewish wedding. Um, none of us were there back in the day, but the, the customs uh, remain today. Um, Jesus, when he would have gone to the, the wedding at Cana, would have seen this. This is just Jewish customs. There's two parts to it. There's the betrothal, and there's the actual wedding, or the ceremony. The love story starts very romantic. Uh, the father and son determine who the son should marry. And um, there's a price determined and negotiated, and there's a contract written up and signed. Romance, right? It doesn't sound too squishy, does it? But um, it doesn't sound like much love there yet. But before you freak out and start thinking like, well, they were just treating women like property, actually, the Jewish custom elevated the status of women. Pagan men could just take and leave a woman at will. They could just, there, there was no contract or anything. With Jewish women, they could say no. They did have the right to say no. And there was a courting procedure to this. So it wasn't just a contract. It, the, the women did have a say. The, and there was a cup. A cup of wine was offered to the woman, and she could say no. So the betrothal, the negotiation, was in the form of a question. Will you? Do you? You know, it, it was a question. So the man would offer the woman the cup of wine. If she drank from the cup, that meant yes. Okay, so it is better than it sounds. If she drank from the cup, they, that sealed the love covenant, and they were betrothed. Now, we think of that as sort of engagement in our culture, but that was a marriage covenant. They were legally married. Now, where do we hear the word betrothed in Scripture? It should pop up in our memory. At Christmas, we read about how Mary and Joseph were betrothed, right? And when Joseph finds out that Mary is with child, he goes to divorce her. Remember, he's going to divorce her quietly, with respect. He's going to divorce her, but there's a divorce. He can't just leave her because they're married, but they're not together, okay? So that's the betrothal period. Um, so there's this, but there is a betrothal ceremony. Prior to the ceremony, the bride and groom are ritually cleansed in moving water. Uh, it's, like, it's almost like a baptism and bride and groom are cleansed uh, together in this living water. And then they meet together under a chuppah. I've got a picture of one. There's a chuppah. Um, they meet together. This is a modern one. It's very pretty. Um, that was an expensive wedding, I'm sure. Um, they meet under a chuppah. It's a temporary covering. It's like a promise from the groom to the bride that he will provide a home for her. Um, but this is a temporary one. It's like the tabernacle that uh, Abraham was instructed to uh, build. It has four poles, always open on four sides. Abraham was instructed to welcome the strangers from all four directions, so that it's open on four sides and open at the top um, where they can see the stars of Abraham's descendants. So sometimes uh, weddings are at night. Can you see the next picture? Shows it at night under the stars. 
Isn't that beautiful? Um, in some synagogues, they actually have an area where they can have indoor, they can construct a temporary, it's always temporary, chuppah, but they have a skylight in the synagogue where, so that they can have starlight um, above the chuppah and have those at night as well. Um, it's, again, always temporary, always four sides, um, so that it's bringing back this remembrance of the tabernacle. Uh, under this chuppah, this marriage canopy, the bride and groom drink a cup of wine together to seal those covenant vows that they've taken. Family and friends rejoice together. And here's where the ancient custom gets strange to our ears. This is odd. The bride and groom leave the party separately. Wait a minute, they just got married. Wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> nope, they leave separately. The groom goes back to his father's house and the bride goes back to her family home. What? That does not make sense to me. They go separately. The marriage is not consummated yet. What? What? The groom goes this way, the bride goes that way, and he's not allowed to drink wine while he's gone. He is celibate and sober. Meanwhile, the bride goes back without her man and is preparing for life with her beloved. Well, I'm going to leave the story right there. Cliffhanger. I'll come back to it. Coming back. I'll come back to it. Shift to Jesus gathering with the 12 at the table. Jesus gathers with the 12 on the night before his death and celebrates one last Passover meal. And this has many components to it. Um, I'll briefly go over um, the reminders to the Jews at the time. And Jesus shared the Passover meal his entire life. Um, he was an observant, an observant Jew. He would have celebrated this with his family as well. Um, it's it's a, a meal that commemorates the release of the Jews out of captivity from the Egyptians. Um, it, it is a celebration of their release from bondage and how the angel of death, death passed over their homes. Uh, the blood of the lamb was spread on the doorposts. Um, ever since, the Jews gather for this Passover and they retell the story of God's love and redemption, his ability to see them through hardship and suffering and the sweetness of life with him. Throughout the evening, there are special foods and cups of wine, each with a blessing attached to it. The Seder meal, this is called, is done in a particular way. In fact, the word Seder means order. It is done exactly the same way, in a particular order. Very, very traditional. They don't mess with the Seder meal. You have it exactly the same. Um, each item of food, drink, song, prayer has a particular place and purpose and intention. And the meal serves as a reminder of God's faithfulness to his people. For example, there's a lamb shank bone, a reminder of the feast of God's blessing. Uh, during the plagues in Egypt, God instructed the Israelites to daub their doorposts with the blood of the lamb so that their firstborns would be spared from the angel of death. Death would pass over them. Another element of the meal is the matzah, the unleavened bread. I've got a picture of matzah. There it is. Um, the unleavened bread to remind the Israelites that they left quickly to escape Egypt. No time for yeast to be activated in the bread. Uh, matzah has stripes on it from the baking of it and holes in it to allow the steam to escape while baking. They have an interesting custom. 
of taking three pieces of matzah and placing them in an echad, which means one in Hebrew. This is a bag. I think I've got a picture of the bag, too. Yeah, there's this bag um, that has three pouches in it. And they have three pieces of matzah in each of the compartments of this bag. Um, one compartment has a piece of matzah that is just placed in there and it is untouched. It, it just sits in the bag. The second compartment has a piece of matzah that is broken in half. One half is placed in that compartment. The other half is wrapped in a linen napkin and is hidden in the home. Papa takes the matzah wrapped in the linen and hides it somewhere in the home. There's a game that's played. Papa hides it somewhere in the house, and the children get up at a certain time during the Seder, get up and go hide and seek. They find it, and whoever finds it gets a prize. It's a strange little game. So they find the prize, they, they find the matzah, and they negotiate with Papa for the prize. It's like this little game they play. So the child will bring it to Dad and say, I found it. And Dad will say, I'll give you a piece of chocolate for it. And the child is expected to say, nope, not good enough. I want two. Oh, surely not... No, in fact, I want one for every, I want chocolate for every child here. And they, there's this playful game of like holding this matzah for ransom. And everybody gets a treat. And then the third one is placed in the, the third compartment, third matzah, and that's the one that's consumed for the rest of the meal. Okay? So there's this part, that's also part of the meal. Um, and this, um, this ehad, this bag, Compartment of three, that word appears in scripture in Genesis. Uh, man and his wife will be, man and wife will become Ahad. The two will become one flesh. Uh, in Numbers 13, 23, when the sp spies return from Canaan, with an, they return with an Ahad, a cluster of grapes. Um, in both cases, the word Ahad refers to a complex unity of one. That's the Holy Trinity, isn't it? Three yet one. A complex number with just one. This compartment, this one. Multiple yet one. So that fits with our Pentecost Sunday, three yet one. I hope you're recognizing the many foreshadowings of Christ in the Passover meal, right? The Lamb of God, the final sacrifice needed. His shed blood protects us from ultimate death. The matzahs in the bag, the three compartments, Father, Son, broken, striped on, stripes on his back, pierced in the side. You can see his body in the matzah, broken, wrapped in linen, hidden for a time, ransomed for many. Can you see all that coming from that? And the Holy Spirit, the third one, the one that is literally consumed during the meal, the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. There's others. The coppice is a vegetable uh, dipped in, par it's usually parsley now. We dip it in uh, salted water to remind us of the, the bitterness of slavery, the, the saltiness of the tears, and so on. Um, bitter herbs, uh, horseradish usually today, just again to remind them of the bitterness of slavery and sin. Um, you get the idea of the, the Seder meal. It's all part of it. There are these, the cups of sanctification and, and so on and so on. But I want to look uh, quickly at how Jesus forever changed 
this last supper, this Passover meal. He says, I've longed to share this last, last supper with you. He didn't call it that, but I've longed to share this Passover with you. I've so looked forward to this Passover meal with you guys. I've looked forward to it. And can you imagine when you think about that, he knew it was his last Passover meal. He knew what he was facing after this. And he's been looking forward to it, which, ah, he's been looking forward to it because he's going to change everything. Now, when the Passover meal traditionally is done, there's an ending of the meal, complete stop, hard stop. After the meal is consumed and all the blessings done and all the cups drunk, there is a stop to the meal. And in fact, there is a, a blessing that is shared, a prayer that says, God, no more blessings, please. I talked to a rabbi about this, and he says, basically, it, it, the prayer says, enough with the blessings, God. We can't take any more. And the people are encouraged to eat and eat and drink and eat and drink until they really don't want any more to eat or drink. Because once the meal is over, hard stop, meal over, everything done, you don't eat again. No more food, no drink, no food until the next day. So there's this definite we're done. We're done eating and drinking. We have thanked God and asked him for no more. Okay, so when we read in scripture that after the meal was over, hard stop, Jesus took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples. <gasps> what? What are you doing? The disciples may have been, oh, wait a minute, but, but, this, but the meal is over. What are you doing? What, what? Maybe that's why he had to say, take, eat. Why would he have to say that? It's bread, take me, take, eat, because they might have been backing up going, oh, now you've done it. <laughs> Not, oh. Take, drink, this is new. The old meal is over. It's over. All that sacrifice stuff is over. That following the law, trying to be good enough, that's over. Now it's my blood. It's my sacrifice. The one, the last one. Grace is now here. Now it's about grace. Now it's about I've done what needs to be done. New new covenant. The perfect lamb is here that takes away the sins of the world. And he says, remember me. Remember me. He offers his bread. He offers the blood. It says, remember. An act of unbelievable love. And you know, when he changes, he, t he takes all the old law and he sets it aside. He doesn't say it's not good. He doesn't say that's bad. He sets it aside and he, he takes all of that and all the made-up laws that the Pharisees came up with and he kind of goes, ah. And he takes the Ten Commandments and he goes, that's good. Those will fall in line. And he takes even love your neighbor as yourself and that's all good. That's all going to happen if you do this one thing. What he says at that Last Supper is love one another not just as you want to be loved, 
It's not what he said. Almost all religions say that. Love like you want to be loved. Treat others like you want to be treated. Almost all of the religions say that. He says, it's a much higher calling. He says, love like I have loved you. Like I, like Jesus, have loved you. That's bigger. That's harder. But that's what he says. That's the new covenant. He says, love like I have loved you. If you do that, all that other stuff's going to fall in line. <laughs> all that's going to be okay. You don't have to worry about all that. It's going to happen. You will love others like you want to be treated if you're loving like Jesus loved you. That'll be easy, right? So today we're going to engage in the Lord's Supper, but we have left our poor newlyweds separated, haven't we? Ooh, I'm running out of time too, sorry. But I can't leave them. I can't leave them hanging. Our poor newlyweds. They're still separated, but here we're going to get them together. You ready? She's living, anxiously awaiting his return. What's he been doing this whole time? He has been building a room onto his father's house so that he can bring her home. In all this space, all this time, he's been busy building a home for her. And not just, you know, mindlessly doing that. All this time, he's been sending his best man back to the, her house with gifts. Gifts. This is the tradition. He would send her, send her gifts through his best, best man to remind her he loves you. He loves you. He's working for you. He's preparing a place for you. He's got you on his heart and on his mind, and he just wants to encourage you. Keep preparing yourself for that eternal home. Keep preparing yourself for that forever place. Keep preparing yourself. Here's a gift, and here's another gift, and here's another gift. Friends, when you receive some word of encouragement, something from above, through one of us or straight from God, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Just coming to just nudge you, give you a wink, give you a hang in there. He is coming back. He is coming back. You know that, right? I think I pray for it way too often. Today be a good day, Lord. I face east. Mm. Be a good day. But I know we've got work to do. The disciples thought he was coming right back. When he ascended, they were looking up his skirt. They were. They were looking up his skirt. Coming back, right? Not yet. There's, we have work to do. We have, work, we have love to do. He is coming back. And, and maybe some of us will see the second coming. Some of us won't. I don't know. I have no idea when that's going to happen. Nobody does. But he is coming back. And let me just give you a word of encouragement. I sit at, at I have the holy privilege of sitting at deathbeds. And... I can often encourage people as they don't know how to die. Nobody knows how to do it, right? Nobody knows how to die. <laughs> you don't have to do anything. Because even at your, at your physical death, Jesus will come get you. The groom comes and gets you. You don't have to do something. You don't have to stop breathing or stop your heart. <laughs> Jesus will come get you. He comes across your threshold and brings you home. You just relax. Be ready with your heart. That's it. He will come get you. And he comes and gets every last one of us, every last one of us out of his love for us. He will not leave a bride over there. He will come and get every last one of us, every last one of us. Do you believe it? You believe it? 
He loves us. So let's share communion together. Um, let, me, let me bless the elements, and then I'm just going to invite you to come up as just how, I don't care what order, come on up. We've got the, um, you know, what, were you, what did you call it? drive through What did you call it? <laughs> you serve yourself. I mean, you want to be safe with that. There's gluten-free options, too. But I want you to kind of view this just this one time as sort of come down your bridal aisle and uh, receive from Jesus his own gift of body and blood for you. So let us pray. Holy Spirit, come on this Pentecost Sunday in a powerful way to be present in the bread and in the juice Be for us the body and blood of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who calls us his bride, the one who loves us so much that he literally broke himself and poured himself out for us so that he could call us his beloved. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Come on forward.